And a big warm welcome to Commonwealth Conversations, everyday Minutemen stories brought to you by the Massachusetts Collective. I'm your host, Nathan Strauss. Today's guest, a very special one, the inaugural guest for Commonwealth Conversations, someone who, if you have been to a UMass game in the last 25 years, you probably know his face, his voice, what he has done. Jason Germain, thank you so much for being the first guest uh, on the podcast. Uh, it's great. Great to be here. So why don't you introduce yourself a little bit and uh, what you do now and, and sort of get into your whole journey with UMass basketball? Well, yeah. So uh, Jason Germain, uh, uh, I went to UMass. I graduated in 1995 as a sport manager major. Um, had a job briefly uh, out of college for about a year and a half. And then um, I actually got a job in the alumni office in June of 98. And then um, I moved over to athletic development in October of 2003. And here I am now, you know, 25 years later with the university. Now you described, before we got on air, you described yourself as sort of having the Rudy story of UMass. And for those who haven't seen Rudy, it's a famous movie about uh, a walk-on at Notre Dame who, um, you know, made some big impacts with his life. Your story with UMass basketball in particular is really, really cool. You're from, you went to South, you were from South Hadley. You end up walking on to, to UMass hoops back in the 90s what what is the whole story yeah so i'll try to give you the short version but no it it, it was great so back in the day when the Mullen center opened up the average student could not use the building it was only for men's and women's basketball and for hockey so i had a uh one of my former sport management um friends his name was eric wheeler he worked at the Mullen center just kind of part-time you know cha concert changeover you know working events things like that and the person who ran the building for the Mullinster at that point, his name was Ed Murphy, and he loved to just play basketball. So after UMass uh, would practice either the men or women, they usually got over about 6, 6.30, then they would just play pickup for a couple hours. And so because he worked there, he got to play. So he was just, it was like one of those unbelievable things. So we, you know, we used to talk about all the time, like, how great is it playing in the building? It's, it's, it's incredible. I, I can't believe how much I love it. So one day he had called me and another friend up. He's like, hey, where are you guys? I'm like, oh, we just got out of class. He's like, well, we need two more guys to run because we only have eight guys. I don't think I've ever run so fast, so fast and so hard in my life from Southwest down to the Mullen Center. So we got down there and Bill Baino, who was an assistant coach at the time, decided to play. So we divided up the teams and we played. And I was just so stoked and so excited to play that I played phenomenal. I had this Georgia Tech, I mean, right, a Georgia Tech pullover shirt on. And he kept calling me Drew Barry because that's he, at that time he went there. And it was like me and Coach Boehner were playing together forever, just backdooring. I was making all my shots, and the guy I was covering, I was stealing the ball from. And we it was just like we knew each other forever. So, you know, when it was done, um, my roommate at the time, who was Matt Comer, who was the senior uh, manager for the basketball team, um, I remember coming back to um, the room. You know, we were roommates also, too, over in Patterson in Southwest. And he's like, sit down. And I thought, oh, I'm in trouble. I shouldn't have been there. I did something wrong. He's like, hey, you're not going to believe this. And I don't know how to tell you this, but Bill Baino wants to know if you want to be a walk-on on the team. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, well, Edgar Pitya's brother, Cadell, decided to leave because he felt he wasn't getting enough playing time. So he's going to go to school in Florida. So I'm like, oh, my God, yes. So the next morning, I was in the Mullen Center. I was in the office. I remember Coach Cal walked out. And he kind of looked like, we have another manager here or something? What's going on? And so I went to practice for a couple of days. And a lot of the guys knew me because, because of my, you know, mapping a manager, you know, doing a lot of stuff for them. They were in and out of his room and, and got to know him. So 
I went to practice the second day I was at practice at the end of practice, Brian Gorman, who was the director of basketball operations back then came up to me and said, what's your sneaker size? I'm like 11 and a half. Coach Cal brought me into the locker room in the cage. Cause that's where practice was um, then. And he's like, Hey guys, I know some of, you know, Jason through Matt. I just want to let you know, he's going to be a walk on the team. The players are going crazy. Like, Oh, that's great. Oh my God. And I, I didn't know how to react. I remember calling my father who, um, for anyone who watched the show in the back, he was took my father was Archie Bunker to the T. And I called and said, Hey, Dad, I got something to tell you. I don't know how I'm going to tell you. I'm just going to tell you this. I'm going to be a walk on the UMass basketball team. And there was a dead pause on the phone for a good minute. He's like, They have a JV team up there? I'm like, No. <laughs> I'm like, No, Dad, it's going to be on the varsity team. He's like, Are you kidding me? No. So, like two days later, they used to have an inter squad scrimmage for the public back then. So I remember my father came up. They gave me an old pair of shoes because they didn't have. I had like a blue pair of shoes instead of maroon. They had no name on my jersey. And I remember practicing. And my father had such tears in his eyes. It was unbelievable. Same thing with my mother. She had come up and watched it. And that was it. And then two weeks later, we were playing, you know, North Carolina at Madison Square Garden in the preseason NC tournament. It was just, it was an unbelievable story. And it, I was just in the right place at the right time. It was incredible. And that's truly one of those sliding doors moments where from that, the last 20 25 years of your career has sort of sprung because now um, you do a lot of work on the development side with athletics, including amongst other things, coordinating the Hall of Fame um, ceremonies and inductions. What is your connection like? Obviously, it's a little bit different as someone who's currently employed by the school, but uh, your, your current connection like to UMass basketball. Yeah, I mean, for me, too, I've been here a long time. I've developed a good relationship with a lot of people from, you know, especially with Marcus Camby and Dr. J of doing a lot of stuff. I'm kind of the conduit to them when university calls, you know, they got to go through me and I go through and I call Marcus and Joyce. This is what's going on. This is what the university wants to do. This is what athletics wants to do. Can you do it? And, um, and just all the former players, getting them back, getting them involved, making them feel, you know, cause we've had a lot of different coaches, you know, and people have different feelings on different coaches and who, who was hired and who was not hired. So really the conduit with them, like you said, run their, running their golf tournament, running a lot of the receptions that they have any, any, any of that type of stuff, you know, I'm kind of, um, you know, I, I've obviously, I'm, I go over the office a lot. I really like to get, you know, I've known a lot of the coaches from obviously Derek I played with from Travis Ford, Matt McCollum. I had a great relationship, you know, now, and, and now to Frank, who's, who's, who's just a great guy who wants to get a, a, a lot of the alumni involved. So I'm really kind of the conduit with them on all that stuff. Do you have a favorite UMass basketball moment, either from your playing time or from, um, you know, growing up in the area or even, you know, in this this last couple of years? Oh, there's so many good ones, Nathan. I don't even know where to begin, but I think two that stand out, I think one personally and then one as a, you know, a member of the team, you know, I never thought I'd get into a game. Like I, I was like in practice, practice was so intense. I remember the, one of the first practices, we were doing those half court drills and Marcus Camby literally jumped over me and dunked. He didn't jump to the side. He didn't like, I just, I, he jumped over me. I remember looking over the sidelines. Coach Cal's like, at least you try to take the charge. Like the, the, the intensity, the, 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 the talent level was something that was extraordinary, like next level stuff. And um, I'm like, but because we were so good and we were blowing teams out, I got in a lot. And I remember the first time at home, we played the University of Pittsburgh. and I was so nervous. I had a towel underneath my shirt and I was just like, oh my God, oh my God. And Coach Cal, when I would go in, he'd always kind of look down, kind of give me the nod. Are you ready? I'm like, yep. So that'd go in. And I remember the first time I had an opportunity, we came down the floor and I'm like, oh, I might get the ball. I might be able to shoot a three-pointer. I never thought I'd ever be on the UMass basketball team, let alone get into a game. And then I got the ball and I remember shooting it. My arms were numb. I didn't even feel the ball come out of my arms and it went through. 
There was 10,000 people there and the whole place went nuts because obviously the local kid, blah, blah, blah. And I remember, I remember telling my parents, I don't remember getting the ball and actually leaving my hand because I was so numb. And, the, and it just felt so good just because I didn't want to throw up an air ball or, you know, have an embarrassing moment. So that really, I, I think about that all the time. And then the second thing is being in Madison Square Garden, the mecca of college basketball and beating North Carolina on Thanksgiving weekend. They had seven pros on that team. Maybe the greatest coach besides John Wood of all time and Dean Smith. And we were getting blown out right away. And I could hear Dick Vitale. I even know we were sitting, oh, North Carolina, baby, blah, 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 blah. And all of a sudden, UMass creeped up. We just kind of crept in there, crept in there, crept in there. We won in overtime. And it was just incredible to just be shooting around on the court. Like back then, it's different. You, you should, when Before the games, you would shoot around with teams and you would share that you would share the hoops and you know, the balls going around. And there's Jerry Stackhouse, Rasheed Wallace, Montrose, Phelps, Reeves. And it was like me. Like it was just incredible feeling. And we beat them, and we and, and they were number one in the country with seven pros. I, I just remember driving back to campus in the bus, like this is crazy. Like this is like how is this happening? And I'm so lucky to be a part of this. It was just absolutely astounding. Yeah, because I feel like too, you know, it's one thing to be a walk on at, at any school and and to get that opportunity, and then it's another thing to walk on to a program that is at its absolute peak and at its peak as one of the you know, top five programs in the country. Obviously, it was a little bit before my time. And so all of my experience with that era of UMass basketball has been, you know, through the looking glass, so to speak. But that has to be up there with every kid's wildest dream, especially as someone who grew up uh, grew up in the area. Uh, if you had to give the ball to any UMass player all time, game on the line, one point game, you know, you got a full shot clock worth. Who do you want taking the shot to win the game? That's easy, Mike Williams. So we call them Uzi Mike Williams. You know, that was kind of our nickname, but I, I've never seen someone more clutch. Now, if you look at a lot of our games, okay, from start to finish, it was Mike Williams. He he was, he was, he he just had, he was never nervous. He and he wanted the ball. And he was he he was just ice cold in his veins. I mean, he's like, I want it, coach. I want it. Because it was different because he was a one-on-one type of player to come down and be able to break you down and make moves. You know, Marcus obviously was more of dunking and blocking shots and things like that. Lou Rowe was phenomenal, but he didn't really have like an out, a great outside shot. You know what I mean? You know, Derek, they're all good, but Mike Williams could come down and just break you down, get to the lane, his floaters, I mean, everything. Monty Mack was pretty close, you know, at the end of the game, but Mike Williams, if I if I had to bet my house and my money, who was he Mike Williams last shot? I and mean, look at Temple, North Carolina. We, uh, okay, we could go West Virginia in overtime. We could go all the way down the line. And we could do a highlight film of just Mike, you know, and um, and I love Mike passed away, unfortunately, a few years ago. And I and I love him and his family. And I think about him every day. But un, unequivocally, Mike Williams, definitely. I think, you know, we're, we're trying to keep these to like 15, 20 minutes. But I feel like you might be worthy of like a longer form one at some point. I know we joked a little bit about someone writing the autobiography or or, or the biography with you of you. But I think it's uh, I think there's so many stories there. Um, but, uh, you know, two questions that we will sort of wrap up with, obviously this is brought to you by the mass collective and the NIL space has changed a whole lot. Um, you know, in the last couple of years, it's changed a lot since your playing days as well. How important in, in your role and sort of to the general scene of college hoops, do you see NIL being? Yeah. You know, I'll be honest with you. I never thought in my lifetime I would see this or any of us would see this, but you know, it's the world we live in and it's changing, you know, specifically in men's basketball men's football on the division one level. This is the way it is. And it's, it's, it's important. It's, it's going to, 
it's going to separate some programs from really getting to where they want to go to where they're not. And everything is important. NIL, NIL is so important to buying season tickets, to, to be an advocate of the program, talking positively about the program. I mean, everything, supporting it, anything you can do. It is so important. So, you know, people need to get on board because if not, you know, who knows what's going to happen to UMass basketball in the future. We want it going forward, not backwards. Actually, that's a good question. And I'm going to pause on my second question, which is what would your NIL deal be? Uh, your, oh, your dream easy. NIL deal be? That's easy. Antonio's Pizza, baby. Nathan, I was, I, oh, my God. If I was a student, I would be, oh, my God, be able to go in there every time, just walk in. Here you go, Jason. No, I. it's just it's an icon. You know, we were talking, you know, uh, Marcus Cami opened up his uh, – his new brewery across the street last night, White Lion. And um, uh, he, he ran over and got a few slices. Like it's just that that place is iconic. And, and 100% unequivocally, it would be a deal with Antonio's Pizza, no doubt. What's your slice? What's your go to? Oh, there's so many chicken, bacon, ranch, uh, you know. Uh, there's so there's just so many chicken. I mean, there's so many to go along with. I mean, I just, when you walk in there, it's whatever comes out of the oven. I love Sicilian, you know, come, you know popping out of that out of the oven. You know, just simple. Sometimes just a nice cheese. You see that cheese come out of the oven. Like, you know what? I'll just take a simple slice of cheese. Yeah, it's quite literally. It's hot. It's there. It's fresh. Yep. That's where everyone is. It's perfect. I could go there every week. And maybe that's a, that, maybe that'll be my goal uh, this, this fall. But I, I do have a question. Being on the development side, I know for a number of years, giving to athletics meant typically giving just to athletics itself. Um, and now there's this whole other avenue of giving to collectives and um, as sort of the ability to spend, I guess, has diversified from sort of the more traditional campaigns. How do you in your role kind of balance that knowing that there are now these new avenues for fundraising? Yeah, well, and, and currently, actually, I've sort of transitioned more over to the external side from the fundraising side recently. But, you know, we're all trying to, you know, raise money and and, and help, you know, athletics and stuff. But, you know, it's... um. It's important, you know, we ask people like, you know, just support everything, you know, I mean, if you're giving to, you know, wherever, any any fundraising side on the university, you know, we're asking you to double it, you know, and give to give to everything else and buy buy a couple extra season tickets and support NIL and support everything else or just, you know, try to double up on what you're doing, you know, and, and it's, um like I said, I think a lot of people um, don't really realize how important it is and don't really understand it. You know, a lot of our, I would say older generation, oh no, I don't like that. Or I don't like this, or I'm not going to do this. or I'm going to do that. But it's the way of the world. You know, I mean, if look at Florida Atlantic. Everyone's like, oh my God, how do they make the final four? They're a no-name team. They're not. If you look, if you watch that game, those were grown men on that team. And half of them were all pretty much all NIL. Like it wasn't just some random thing that Florida Atlantic was in the final four. So it's just, it's, it's, it's people, you know, think about the history of UMass basketball. And besides Jack Lehman, who had success with Julius Irving, we haven't had a lot of success over the years. We've made the tournament, what? If you take the Cal era out of there and the Bruiser era, like, you know, it's been 100 years of UMass basketball. It hasn't been that, you know, we haven't had that much success. So, you know, it, it's hard. Look at look at the Atlantic 10 last year. They had two teams in it. Like one or two teams are getting in from Atlantic 10 now. It's hard. So we you need that support to get you where you want to go. And UMass has the benefit of having uh, strong infrastructure in place, thanks to you know the Kennedy Champion Center, everything that's uh, all the physical infrastructure in place, and and that should, in theory, give uh, a big leg up. And uh, for people who have not experienced your work with 
sort of the the Hall of Fame side of things as well. I know that is coming up as well at some point in the next, when is it, the next month or so? Yeah, that's Friday, September 29th. So, you know, every year it seems like it kind of falls right in September, early October, and we have our Hall of Fame induction, which is one of our biggest events of the year. You know, not just me, but everyone in the department does a great job. We're, we're looking forward to honoring great people again. And, and again, I can't wait for that event to get here. Well, Jason Germain is certainly worthy of a much longer episode because there's so many stories that I want to hear. I think people would want to hear as well. Uh, but thank you so much for being our first uh, guest and sharing your UMass basketball journey. And uh, thanks to everyone for listening to Commonwealth Conversations Everyday Minuteman Stories brought to you by the Massachusetts Collective. We'll be back next Monday with more and we'll talk to you then. Uh, stop